0: Welcome back to another instalment of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras.
1: For he hears, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Proverbs 18, 12 to 14. Well, welcome back to this week's episode of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation. I'm Ryan Aris. I am joined, as usual, by Dr. Joe Boot and... Nathan Oblak doesn't always do this, but he's driving across the country uh, with his family, uh, getting ready to uh, to set up for the Runner Academy in Golden, BC.
0: Is he in a 84 Sheepdog heading for the Rockies?
1: It's, uh, pretty close. <laughs> 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 he's hauling, I think he's hauling a Viking. <laughs>
0: yeah. But, uh, but he's driving in the right direction. He's, he's yep. So far,
1: <laughs> la- a- as of last report, he's been driving the correct way across the country. Excellent. Uh, you and I, we're still here because some guys weren't cut out for life on the road. <laughs> but clearly Nathan is uh, is ready to do well, that. I hear he put
0: a pretty good travel fund together.
1: Yeah. yeah. He sold some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Baseball cards. Yeah. <laughs> Petey. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. so that's it. Yeah. So, so much for Nate for this week. Uh, we'll look forward to catching up with him, uh, with you, and uh, with several of our uh, our Runner Academy faculty next week while the program's going on. So that's uh, that is happening. We'll we'll be welcoming delegates this Sunday, June fifth. Yeah, I'm that... looking
0: forward to being there.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely,
0: we'll be there ourselves by uh, Saturday.
1: Right, right. And this will, uh... yeah, this will run until the fifteenth of June. So it's a it's a 10-day program this year in golden BC that uh, those spaces have been filled we're looking forward to a, a full cohort of runner Academy delegates looking forward to next month the worldview youth Academy that's also filled up uh, has been for quite some time and we're uh, we're grateful for the the opportunity to uh, to have this uh, a promising uh, group of young people with us here in uh in Southern Ontario for that, that week. The event that's still available, uh, tickets are still available, I should say, is the Mission of God West. We just concluded the Mission of God East here in Niagara on the theme of utopianism versus the kingdom of God. It went so well. We're taking it on the road. Many of the same, uh, the the exact same theme many of the same speakers uh, Joe Boot Andre Schutten, and uh, Andrew Sandlin will be there in Edmonton June 18th speaking on utopianism versus the kingdom of God and you can get uh, tickets on our website at ezra so today we're, uh, we're we're down a man but we're not uh, we're not so rudderless as all that uh, but I thought we had uh, we'd take an opportunity end of uh, end of may beginning of the summer here to uh talk through what's been going on in the news we don't uh, we don't do this every week but there's uh, there's always a lot going on and some of it is uh variations on a theme some of it is new all of it is subject to the lordship of Jesus so i thought uh, that's uh, that's something where we have a vested interest in in speaking and teaching, and uh, in bringing commentary, so let's, uh, Joe, if you're ready, let's get into a couple of a uh, couple of news items. First of all, the sexual revolution has backfired on women. What uh, what is that about? That was, I'll tell you. I'll carry on. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell. So, Joe, you actually you actually tweeted this article from uh, the British news outlet, the Telegraph, earlier this morning, and. Several people have been commenting on it. It's it's been making the rounds, and the reason that it's that it's interesting is because this is a a feminist author writing this column, uh, who is sort of standing around her in and wa- watching watching the uh, the West crumbling down, watching the ongoing decay of society, and having the uh, Having, having the intellectual integrity to say that feminism is partly responsible for this mm-hmm. that uh, looking around at the the phenomena of uh, you know dramatic increases in things like rape and abuse and domestic violence abortion and the uh, the treatment of the, uh, the ongoing objectification of women mm-hmm. through the uh, the ubiquity of things like pornography mm-hmm. and she's looking around and saying basically reflecting in that we are not we are not better off and women are not better off than they were 40 years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it has been interesting to uh, I I tweeted the article because I think it's been very interesting to observe uh, of late uh how many um feminists mm. self-styled feminists. That's right. Um, are starting to wake up to the r- actual reality, the real fallout of the sexual revolution of the 1960s and all the things that went along with it in the 20th century hookup culture, uh, the uh, which has steadily gotten worse. I mean, when you look at, um, I think in the United States now, 25% of children are growing up in fatherless households. That's right. Yeah. Um, so you have the sort of um, uh, so so-called sexual liberation of the nineteen sixties has not been this. These uh, feminists are talking about the fact that they it's not actually now produced a liberation of women. Mm. Uh, it's a liberation of men's um, uh, sexual restraints and responsibility. Yeah. Uh, but it's not been for the liberation of women. The article was actually by Susan Moore, who's clearly a feminist herself, but she's talking about a book uh, by the author uh, uh, Lewis um, Perry. Uh, and it's a new book that she's written called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, A New Guide to Sex in the 21st Century, um, uh, which she has said now that the that sexual revolution has really meant a flood of pornography, hookup culture, you mm. um, abusive sexual encounters prostitution being seen as another career choice and uh, the lowest rate of conviction for rape in a decade And these are some of the things that she's pointing out in the book Um, and uh, she actually says it's very interesting the um, the the article quotes uh, one or two uh, points from the book and she says and i quote as a younger woman i conform to the liberal feminist ideas that saw nothing wrong in porn, bondage, sadomasochism, and hookup culture. Women were just expressing the same casual and adventurous approach to sex as men did. Um, and uh, she relates how she actually let go of these beliefs when she worked at a rape crisis center uh, and began to realize that the, the so-called sex, sexual revolution um, was turning out as a disaster for women. And that uh, when women are truly honest, um, that uh, and you know she 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 talks about um, levels of um, the, the 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 incredibly low levels of sexual satisfaction reported amongst women in hookup encounters, in one night stands, and all of this that's become part of the sexual revolution. Um, and uh, she points to the biological, the significant biological differences between men and women, which of course runs completely counter to trans activism in our our time that's right um and uh she points out that you can't stop this sexual abuse and rape with quote consent workshops uh where rapists are re-socialized of course this would be an wow. issue for us we've <laughs> talked about this before on the show that you know in night right up until 1950 in canada yeah uh, you could be executed for rape that's right um and this brings us back of course that kind of thing brings us right back to the heart of one of the primary things that we talk about as a ministry, which is God's law, mm-hmm. and uh, its importance and centrality in um, restraining wickedness. I mean, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about in First Timothy chapter 1, uh, in the civil use of the law. And uh, this was this was applied in the history of western society here here in here in canada right through to 1950 you rape somebody you face a maximum sentence of death and because penalties illustrate the value of the precept that said something important about the value of women that's right about the you've, sanctity of marriage about the sanctity of sexual relationships
1: yeah you've you've also said elsewhere uh, i think you started to to make this point but the the phrase that law is a value processing system,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and the fact that uh, she points out that um, uh, you you can't it's so difficult to get uh, convictions for rape and you've got this massive increase in 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 rape mm-hmm. um, tells you now something about our values and even when you consider um, things like the pornography industry today in the west. And um, men in particular become very uncomfortable when you talk about this because there are so many users of hardcore pornography. It's almost like, uh, you know, going to the gym these days for people. Um, but um, we very carefully crafted in Canada a few years ago our prostitution laws. That's right. To, uh, to target the, the, the Johns, the people who are actually buying sex rather than the prostitutes themselves. Um, And uh, I think there's because of the fact that actually many uh, prostitutes are actually sold into sex slavery in their teens Mm -hmm. um, and then addicted to drugs um, and alcohol Mm -hmm. and are basically involuntarily in that lifestyle in many, many instances. That was actually a good change. I think it was under a conservative government actually. That, that change was introduced a, a, a fresh look at the prostitution law. But what was interesting is that the of course, and, and the issue there is the John, the 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 is is buying sex. So the goal was to target the person buying uh the sex from the prostitute. That's right. So there you have basically a transaction going on sex for money. And yet the porn industry which is nothing but televised prostitution, uh, was was carefully protected as art. That's right, yeah. In the Canadian law around abortion, uh, around a, a prostitution, I should say. And, um, of course, the porn industry feeds the prostitution industry on the street as well. So mm-hmm. there's a reciprocal relationship between the two. You've got sex slaves from all over the world working in... Uh, or being basically enslaved i should say in many cases in the porn industry and then you've got um, young uh, children effectively sold into prostitution in our major western metropolises and this is protected as art by our governments when in fact it is prostitution it's it's there's money and there's sex somebody is paying for two people to have sex or more Mm -hmm. as the case may be and Uh, that's protected as art and so and it's all part of the collapse of our cultural system and it says something about the value of women and of course the it's been observed many times now the growing violence and debauchery of pornography Uh, uh, the aggression and violence associated with it is becoming normalized culturally and this feminist writer is talking about that in her book, and this journalist in The Telegraph is picking up on it, and she, as a feminist, is now saying herself she's become increasingly uncomfortable as a feminist over the last decade or so in the West with the fruits of the so-called sexual revolution. Now, it's interesting that Louise Perry herself uh, advocates a return to shock horror. Are you ready for this, Ryan?
1: Hold give it, okay. Are you ready for the her solution? I'm sitting down. So just brace okay.
0: yourself for this, because it's radical. I mean, it's extreme. Her solution is marriage.
1: I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, actually, this is... Uh, do, you, do you remember a few years ago that a bunch of high-profile uh, celebrity women were calling for a sex strike <laughs> until... I've, and I forget what exactly their demands were, but some kind of commitment or some kind of change to the law that a man cannot get a woman pregnant and then abandon her without consequence.
0: Well, <laughs> you you would think that uh, that some of these people would have a Yahtzee moment here, a kind of mm. Eureka moment. Um, this uh, this particular journalist herself, she she makes a point of saying that. Um, she uh, she says Perry's answers are not mine, you know. In this book, uh, okay. She, so she,
1: marriage might be a step too far.
0: Yeah, that might be a little bit. You know, we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want to overreact mm-hmm. to this terrible situation. Um, but she says, and like building uh, stable it, households, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but she wants. She says she wants a return. She's talking about Perry now. She wants a return to marriage, and for girls not to have loveless sex. Uh, And to be on the lookout for for sexually aggressive men and so on and so forth. Um, And uh, what uh, what she says is, well, you know, the sexual revolution has been responsible for so many women faking it for the sake of men, whereas a real revolution, she says, would focus on women, on what women actually want. I can't wait for that to come, she says. So she... (laughs) She's kind of looking at this and saying, well, this is just, a, this is just a, uh, like a male problem with men getting what they want. It's not a normative structure of society problem, whereas actually the writer she's talking about, Perry, mm-hmm. she gets it.
1: Right, yeah.
0: She actually realizes that actually this surrender of marriage and of girls saying no, of women saying no, you want, uh, you, you want a physical relationship with me, then there needs to be commitment, of course that is the point of scripture. It's a covenantal relationship, marriage, and if you young women who are listening to this, you know, if you give it all away uh prior to marriage covenant commitment, um you know, expect to be hurt, disappointed, let down, abandoned. This is why God protects women in scripture, uh in his law mm-hmm. in such a powerful way. Um, and uh, this is not to demonize all men. There's been enough of that in our culture as well, because actually, men too have suffered in the um, hookup culture, mm-hmm. um, and with radical feminism uh, and the sexual revolution, because the war on the so-called patriarchy, the war on marriage, has left men with a sense with a lack of identity with a sense of what is my role. I mean, if women can do everything men can do and better, serve in the military, serve in the police, be providers, be protectors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and wear our trousers and boxer shorts, uh, then what what is there left to being a man? What does it mean to be a man? And, right. and in a culture where the family collapses, children are lacking the example of fathers, young men are struggling. And, of course, this is something that... Um, uh, observant Christians have been saying for decades, Mm -hmm. and then um, thoughtful Johnny-come-latelys like Jordan Peterson, who is discovering the Bible and discovering Christianity from his Freudian and uh, Jungian um, psychological background and meandering his way towards this realization, uh, has been pointing out, and of course, has a massive following because of it, because he simply pointed out the basic normative reality. And so it is just very interesting to see in mainstream media and mainstream feminist authors increasingly talking about the consequence of the sexual revolution, not being the liberation, but actually now being a new kind of of suffering, a new kind of bondage for women. Mm -hmm. Young men now no longer willing or able to commit. No example in family, no desire to protect and provide and being a committed, lifelong, loving relationship with a woman, which she's saying, if women are absolutely honest, the vast majority, that is ultimately what they're looking for. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, in Hollywood and in the movies, you know, most of the movies that people want to watch and, and love don't end in some nihilistic, violent hookup culture. Right. They end in marriage and romance. Yep. And uh, ultimately, that's what human beings were made for by God. And, you know, Suzanne Moore, this writer of this Telegraph article, she can fight against that all she wants. She can she can battle uh, with Perry's conclusions. But that's the reality. And you aren't going to uh, discover fulfillment, joy, true intimacy, and a life-giving... Uh, Reality in human intimacy outside of what God says is the is the normative structure, and the ramifications, which I know we're going to talk about in some of the other news items, are deadly when we reject this pattern. It's not just about personal fulfillment; it's it's about social order. It's about the good of society, and and I think that we're going to increasingly see slowly people beginning to realize that this. Uh, rebellion against God, this total reject, this revolutionary rejection of marriage and family uh, is deadly. And it is destroying our culture at, at every level. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting to see more and more people in this decadent moment we're in beginning to acknowledge it and realize it.
1: And we're, uh, we, we see that uh, because, uh, because there is such a thing such a distinct thing as masculinity and femininity but this is this is a, a big part of the reason why there's a l- significant subculture of self-identifying alpha males like g- who guys who work to perfect their hookup game mm-hmm. who work to uh, they've they're not uh, they're they're turning their backs on feminism. Mm -hmm. They're rejecting feminism and they're, you know, they're working out to get, to get really fit and they're working on their, how to talk and convince a woman to go along with them. And Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a big, it's a big movement in its, uh, in its niche Mm -hmm. of, of people who, yeah, who want all of the sort of like historic, uh, Blessings or acquisitions of masculinity without without the commitment of being the provider and protector.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, freedom without the idea of freedom without responsibility. Yeah, um, and uh, an obligation, which of course doesn't make men; it makes uh, adult-sized boys. That's right. And uh, and then of course you know if because increasingly men. Especially young men have felt robbed of their identity. We've I mean, seen the radical feminization of Western culture, uh, of Western education, um, and of Western society. With that loss of identity, well, then of course they go casting about for a new identity. And what is that new identity? Well, it's the it's the jiggalo, right?
2: Uh,
0: it's the uh, the Vogue male, as you say, who's you know who's got uh, got all his abs sorted out. And um, knows how to talk, uh, talk the game, yeah. but um, he's never raised a child. That's right. He's never provided for anybody, and he lives in very often in his mother's basement if he's not in some sort of bachelor pad somewhere. So this is the vogue, irresponsible male who simply worked out how to game the system. Okay, if these feminists, uh, if we're not, um, if we've got no distinct identity as men, no responsibilities, they can do everything better than us. There's no real distinction between men and women anyway. Men can be women, women can be men. It's all interchangeable. Then then life becomes, well, I'm just going to get what I can out of it and I'm going to game Game the social order, mm-hmm. game society, turn it into a game. What can I get out of it? And uh, and then people wonder why they're hurt and damaged, and um, have their lives uh, destroyed. So you know we have to we have to have an equal sympathy. We don't we can't buy into critical theory here. We have to have an e- equal sympathy um, for maybe sympathy is the wrong word, um, but an equal recognition of the destruction of both the lives of men and women... That's right. um, ...in our culture. Feminism has this habit of wanting to simply blame men, or, you know, they talk about toxic masculinity and all of that. Well, these feminists, they didn't want marriage, they said. Uh, They didn't want the the responsible, providing, loving, covenant-committed male. They wanted this... They said they wanted this uh, radical liberation and now the chickens are coming home to roost as it were and uh you know i've got two daughters the last thing i want for any of them is to get uh, um caught up with some gigolo vogue male yeah. and you can be absolutely sure because i am a father and a husband that i will stand in the way of that sure at every turn that's part of my responsibility and so the, the issue for men is that they have, uh, in a certain sense, seen the opportunity to sidestep all responsibility in this uh, situation. And, um, and isn't
1: that just like our first parents? Absolutely. Who's responsible for this? What's going on here? I'll, the woman that you put here with me.
0: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so the blame game, um, you know, both men and women were responsible for the sexual revolution mm-hmm. and even churchmen went along with it and promoted it in the mainline churches. Yeah. And, um, uh, in that sense, God's judgment falls on both. Yep. Okay. And, uh, it is, uh, a, a tragedy to see the the, 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 the condition of our culture for women today. And it's equally a tragedy to see what, uh, um, men have, have, have become, uh, in general and of course it's promoted and this is where we we come into the some of the things that this uh, writer is talking about it just starts to generate a predatorial culture right so you talked about it being a sort of you know talking the game and you know but that can get pushed a step further to the point where uh it's predatorial oh it often is and yeah,
1: uh it, yeah it's the natural and obvious way that it uh, that it manifests
0: the um and there's of course an important relationship, uh between, uh this sort of collapse of the family, the sexual revolution, uh and the faith of course, and um, I, I there's a, actually a really important book that was that was written a few years ago, um I think it was published in uh yes two thousand and thirteen. It was called "How the West Really Lost God" by Mary Abberstadt, and we've well, um,
1: referred to it before on this show. We
0: have referred to this book before, um, and um, she she points out a number of of, um, of really critical things. Um, I can only mention a couple of them, but um, one of th- one of the things she's keen to point out, basically the thesis of the book, is that there is a reciprocal relationship between decline in belief in God and the decline of the family, and the decline of the family, which correlates to a decline of belief in God, in the Christian faith. So that as the, because it's God's order, and it makes sense, of course, because it's God's order, because it's God's structure, because it's God's norm for society, for human relationships, it makes total sense that if you abandon God's norms at the societal level, if fatherlessness increases, if the family breaks down, uh, then the belief in God the Father, in the holy family, in Christ and his church, which is typified by the marriage relationship um, in, throughout Scripture. Uh, of course, God describes Israel as an adulterous wife in his relationship to Israel. Christ speaks about his church as his bride. The 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 Bible begins with a marriage. It concludes with the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, and so the the it's as our friend and one of our institute fellows often says, Peter Jones, it's the cosmological key. It's one of the mm-hmm. cosmological keys to the universe. So it makes total sense that as a decline in the practice and the reality on the ground of the family happens. Um, you would see a decline, of course, in a fatherless culture of a belief in God the Father who sent his son to purchase for himself a bride, to give his son a bride. I mean, that is what the the gospel is. It's a beautiful thing uh, that the Father brings a bride, the church, to his son. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we, we actually recapitulate this in every marriage service. That's we, right. So what happened in the Garden of God at the beginning, God... Creates Eve, brings Eve to Adam. It's the first wedding. Um, and, in, and in the eschaton, in the whole story of the gospel, fulfilled, coming to its fulfillment at the eschaton, the father brings a bride to his son, the Lord Jesus. Um, and Abbestat, she says, and I, she points out, and I quote now, it's also clear, she says, or should be by now, that the assumption that faith drives family is far more problematic than it appears on first glance, and that the contrary notion, according to which at least some of the time, family drives faith instead, is one that makes superior sense of the facts and thus demands a place at our figurative table. Um, She says, given the weight of circumstantial evidence, the natural family does not appear to be merely an afterthought or consequence to religious belief. To study the timelines of faith, I'm still quoting, to study the timelines of faith and family is to see something else, that the family is also a conduit to belief, or at least bearing in mind the limits established to this inquiry at the outset, to belief in Christianity. The demographic and historical timeline in which the strength of the natural family appears to wax and wane alongside that of Christian practice is highly suggestive proof for that claim um, and uh, I think this is a, um, a a remarkable observation actually that the Christians who think that this is some sort of issue we can be nonchalant about cavalier about that it's uh, you know it's not it's not a gospel issue right divorce or uh, abortion the 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 hookup culture sexual, promiscuity i mean who even talks about that anymore because mm-hmm. it's it's like water off a duck's back uh you know sex before marriage um sex outside of marriage this is going on commonly in evangelical churches among young people as increasingly the norm because this is not taught and then we see breakdown of the family and consequently a collapse within our culture, decline in belief in God as family collapses. So I think that's um, an absolutely brilliant observation.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right, and yeah, you know, we've uh, we've touched on this issue already in this conversation a few times, but let's uh, let's deal specifically with this matter of fatherlessness, because again, we're seeing we're seeing the fruits of that growing up all around us, and they are they are bitter and ugly. And one of the uh, one of the news items that uh, that I was wanted to talk about is an editorial in the New York Post, and it's uh, it's reflecting on the the recent uh, school shooting in Texas, which should go without saying is a a terrible atrocity. But uh, he the author makes the point that uh, the uh, the shooter in uh, in this case, as well as in Dozens of recent other shootings and uh, violent events was a fatherless young man. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there are several common things, but this is one that uh, that starts that when you once you see it, you can't unsee it. That uh, that there is no no father, no masculine role model in the home to. Provide a strong boundary and barrier to act as the, uh, like, the a physical and spiritual door to the home, controlling uh, what gets in, what gets out. You and I are both fathers of daughters, as you mentioned before. We're not going to let certain types of guys come around the home and get into our homes. Mm-hmm. When you lose that uh, that protection, the you know the door is wide open for whatever the wind blows in.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, th-
0: this is, I think, um, a, an absolutely critical link. And and um, we've often said that, you know, when we look at the news and we look at occasionally pick up on things that are featured in the, the news of a week, we've often talked about the fact that we're not looking at bits and pieces that are unrelated as though That's right. this feminist article over here about the... Um, uh, about the sexual revolution now being something that increasingly feminists are regretting and is ultimately destructive is not unrelated to shootings, mass shootings by young men in Texas. Uh, they're intimately related. And based on what you've said there about the protector, provider, the daughter, the, the gatekeeper in the home, I, I wanna mention again, something that Mary Eberstadt says in yeah, her book. Yeah, she's on a roll. Because she says, um, how can the story of the Holy Family, it's the story of both, of course, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and but particularly Joseph, Mary, the Lord Jesus, mm. be understood in a world where a family is increasingly said to be whatever anyone in possession of voluntary associations wants it to be. But to ask children who do not have such protectors. So actually, she says, let me just back up a bit. It was one thing to say for children to understand the figure of the adoptive father, Joseph, at a time when most came from traditional homes, and Joseph was easily grasped as someone like one's own father. But to ask children who do not have such protectors to understand what it is like to have one and to encourage them to build their lives and souls around a concept that some will find elusive or even incredible is a very different conceptual challenge and one that, to repeat, has not been faced by Christian leaders of the past because it did not exist in the past on anything like the scale today. Once again, the realities of today's intentionally created and often fractured family life potentially impede grasping Christianity or finding it appealing, often in subtle and unexpected ways. On balance, these relatively new social realities have been a net minus for Christianity's future prospects. And she goes on to talk about the fact that there also remain millions of Western men, women and children affected by divorce, as well as the smaller but influential numbers of anti-traditional families featuring same-sex androgyny, polygamy, same-sex adoption and other creative attempts to redefine the Western family. Mm Mm-hmm. And she also goes on to point out that the you, you can actually correlate historically the fact that the rise of the welfare state, which was in fact in part the result of the collapse of the family. So the welfare state starts to grow radically after World War II. Yeah. Thousands of men have been lost. Fathers, grandfathers have been lost during the war. Um, lots of young men have been lost during... Lots of husbands have died. Uh, and then, of course, with the sexual revolution of the 1960s, um, you see the growing collapse of the family. And uh, she cites uh, several economists who have done extensive work in this area, looked at international databases over decades to analyze attendance in churches across the West. And they summarize that the, the data, quote, unequivocally show that church attendance decreased in the West during the 20th century, and that the decline in church attendance was pronounced, particularly pronounced after the sixties. Both the latter point and the author's own interesting hypothesis is that the welfare state itself caused the decline in religiosity. Um, so when you have the the idea that some other institution can step in, you can reinvent it, you can create it. Any old family will do. Single mum any voluntary association of a group of individuals like here in Ontario where up to four people can contract, to unrelated people can contract. Unrelated,
1: don't need to live anywhere near each other. Don't don't even need
0: need to have any historic ties, can contract to be the parents, in inverted commas, of a yet even unborn child. That's right. Um, These sort of uh, revolutionary attempts to, because this is intentional, this destruction of the family in the West is not an accident. It's not some sort of a... Historical anomaly. It's been an intentional exercise in the destruction of Christian values.
1: What would be the what would be the goal of doing so?
0: Well, the goal is related to what we talked about, of course, at the Mission of God conference, which some people mm-hmm. will remember, which is the egalitarian utopian society. Right. This was what Marx and Engels were after. It's what socialists have been after. Social Democrats. It's what the liberal government in Canada uh, is after. Uh, It's the destruction of the family in order to recreate society in terms of man's ideal, man's idea of total autonomy, which requires the destruction of all God's norms, the destruction of normativity in favor of the autonomous will of man to create his own equalitarian, egalitarian society where everything is leveled. And the family represents the, the, for them, the ultimate um, offense because it, reflecting as image bearers of god which is reflected in the life of the family specifically uh it represents the the very hierarchy the very non-egalitarian mm-hmm. uh, non-equalitarian society because as you know scripture teaches in terms of the christian faith parents have authority over their children um and they're to raise them in to to know and love the lord uh, there is structure within the family there is service to christ of both husband and wife in mutual submission to the lord jesus christ and in the headship of the husband in the life of the family now that is hated it's radically it's hated by the the utopians um because it it stands in the way of this society of sexual libertinism um and of uh of this realization of the utopian society. And so the welfare state has tried to step in and be the surrogate family, surrogate father and so forth, but it cannot do it. And um, I think this this observation in the New York Post uh, highlights a very, very significant factor in all of this. And we can come come to the issue of gun, gun control last, but this mm. whole issue of the fact that why do we not recognize that this this increase in violence, the, the, this increase in, in the abuse of women and violence towards women, the increase in gun violence? You know, Americans have had guns from the time of its founding. The colonists had guns. The Revolutionary War was possible because the English people living in the American colonies had guns, and they said... No stamp duty, no taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. We had the American Revolutionary War. The rest is history. There weren't. You did not have these kinds of mass shootings in the middle of the nineteenth or the late nineteenth century. Yeah, early twentieth yeah. century. They just didn't happen. And yet these kids, some of them would come to school, hunt, come to school with their hunting rifles. They go hunting with their dad after school. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. so. The the thing that this article dares to raise is that perhaps there is a root cause to these tragedies, uh, to these acts of wanton destruction, Um, and it is linked to fatherlessness, which I've just shown, is linked to the collapse of the Christian faith um, in that reciprocal relation. So we've actually, what you never see in the public analysis and in the cultural and political analysis of these terrible things, these terrible shootings, is the religious route. You never get to the religious route. They almost never go then to the religious and then social consequence of not addressing the religious route. The collapse of Christian faith, they wanted it. They wanted this pagan culture. These elites, these politicians... Uh, these, um, the, the, this long march through the institutions of these revolutionaries. This is what they want. And these same liberals then shout and scream and stamp their feet when these tragedies happen, but this is what they have called forth. They wanted a pagan culture without Christianity, without fathers, with the destruction of the family, where young men do not know the discipline, the love, the fence, the protection the direction that only a father can give his son. You've got sons, I've got a son. We know how important fatherly discipline, correction, direction for our sons. How will they ever know how to treat a woman if they don't observe the loving care, affection and protection of our wives in the home? Mm -hmm. They observe that if they see love, respect, affection, commitment. No right. husband is perfect, but dedication, commitment, stickability through the various changes in life that that uh, that marriage and life takes you through. Faithfulness, uh, hard work, um, honor, respect. Those things, they don't fall out of the sky upon young men. If they're That's not right. given that, if they're not raised with it, how can they possibly then uh, evince that kind of behavior in their relationships to women in society and then take their place as responsible citizens. So these pagans, these critical theorists, these these, uh, these people who rail against the patriarchy, the radical feminists, uh, these egalitarian, utopian, deluded people who called forth this culture... The very culture that they have called forth, they then say, and we'll come to this as we in a moment, I know, Mm -hmm. then say, right, well, in order to fix that, we've got to take away more of your freedom and liberty. That's right. So, to fix the problem that we've created, we've destroyed the family, we've assaulted men and the so called patriarchy, Mm -hmm. we've mercilessly attacked and persecuted the church. And now we have this terrible problem of rape, of violence, and of uncontrolled young men grabbing guns and shooting people, uh, shooting children. Uh, The solution is more welfare state, more control, more regulation, more egalitarianism, more equality, more of all the things that have created the very problem that we now see in society. And I think that this particular author does it very you know tentatively (laughs) tiptoes around the subject but Mm. dares to raise uh the issue that salvador ramos did not live with his father and young men having that father figure in their lives quote provides a blueprint for manhood and a source of protection from the outside world um And since the Columbine school shooting days, access to guns hasn't changed much, yet the rate of mass shootings has steadily increased. This is, I'm quoting from the article. That's right. I believe it's because there is a crisis among our young men who are growing up in homes where they are disconnected from their fathers, either physically or emotionally. Can I say, eureka, thank you. Yahtzee. Absolutely. Right? This, how long is it going to take people, these people, to realize that you cannot war against God and think you're going to get away with it.
1: No, that's, uh, that, that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? That this is the universe that God has made. It's designed to run according to certain principles, certain laws, we might say, and do say around here. You can rebel against those because you don't like the God who created them, but you can't ultimately break out of the system and you can't actually rewrite the categories mm-hmm. you can try to replace them with sort of new drop-ins mm-hmm. with new laws but you can't you can't escape from them
0: no and of course this is something that uh, um, our uh, much revered Herman um That's has right. pointed out um, so i powerfully. was
1: curious if d- you'd get doy into this <laughs> this, day, this week's episode. <laughs>
0: well, this was something he never tired of pointing out, that mm. there is a normative structure. And this, of course, something that uh, Cornelius Van Til pointed out as well, yeah. the, the great uh, Dutch-American Christian apologist as well, that there is God's law order for society. Um and uh, there is a, a, a law structure and a norm structure built into the very fabric of creation itself. And I pointed out before that at the be- in the book of Genesis, when God himself calls all things into being, he speaks the ten words, let there be. And then, uh, and that's the very voice of God speaking. And then again in Exodus in that passage, there, nineteen through twenty-one of the the Israelites' encounter with God at Mount Sinai, uh, God again speaks ten words, and it's God's voice. It's not Moses' voice. It's God's voice, and there is a, uh, a, a an inescapable connection between the creation law and God's revealed law in the Commandments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 10 words, there is a, there is a, there is the, 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 the actual word in, in scripture is Torah uh, for, for law, which, which literally means instruction and actually translations like the Holman Christian Standard Bible translate the word law uh, frequently as instruction. Now think about that word in English, instruction, instruction, you are in structure, law means to be within structure and as you've said you can mm-hmm. try you can f- try and fight that structure all you want you can it's it's like this this the absurdity we're in today you can try and fight the fact that you're a male biologically mm-hmm. or you're a female biologically y- you can mutilate yourself but you are in structure you cannot escape the reality of creation and uh th- this is the this is the the thing that we, we talk about so often uh, is that as soon as you throw out the, the, the structure of creation, the creation word, the creation law word, where there is both law and norm, which are special types of laws... You can rebel against God's norms. You can try and, you know, in, you can't rebel against the law of gravity. You're perpetually bound by it. You know, people sometimes say, oh yeah, you can, you go up in a rocket ship. No, no. You, mm. you're, when you go up in a rocket it, to, it, and fired into space, you are constantly bound by the law. That's why you need all that fuel because you are working within the structure of the law of gravity. and You need to exert greater force to, to leave the planet than is actually holding you on it so you don't br- you don't break those laws God's normative structure uh, for example social life our faith life our economic life our cultural life you can resist you can human beings because of the fact that we are endowed with will and we're responsible we have response ability unlike the animals we have a response. Ability. We have a, a unique ability to respond to God. We can fight against it, but we can't win. That's the point. That's what actually the judgment of God means in Scripture. That's what Romans 1 really means. They received in their bodies the due penalty for their error. Mm-hmm. You, this is what had pointed out about history. History takes its own revenge on historicism right on the idea that everything's relativized right and and this is why we see these big pendulum swings historically and culturally is that vengeance is mine says the lord it is mine to repay you can history itself takes vengeance because it's under the sovereign government of god on these absurdities. And that of course if you ever wanted to know the meaning of of the the the, the Lord's laughter in the Psalms, where David says the Lord uh, scoffs, he holds them in derision in yeah. Psalm 2. That's right. He laughs yeah. at the wicked. Uh, this is what it's talking about. And it's not a uh, a, a a laughter that is n- that is a non-redemptive laughter. It's the laughter of the 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 knowledge of God with regard to the futility of man's rebellion, he thinks he can break the bonds and shatter them, as, uh, uh, and 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 shake them off. I mean, that's what the Psalmist Psalm two says. We think we can shake them off, but he who sits in the heavens laughs. And then he speaks about his son, who is he set on Zion, his holy mountain. He will he rules them with a rod of iron. He shatters them like a potter's vessel what's going on in Western culture right now is Christ exercising his judgment upon the wickedness and futility of man's rebellion in, in history. And, um, I, it was so, uh, telling to see, you know, an article like this saying, hang on a minute. Isn't there a pattern here? Fatherlessness. Mm -hmm. It isn't, guns that are the problem you see what the what the liberals what the left what the what the utopians the radicals do and of course we've just seen this and perhaps you can tell the audience about it just now um is people are leaping of course on what happened in Texas as they do with every one of these tragedies to say well the 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 key is you've just got to ban guns it's the obvious solution the obvious right? solution that's like saying, you know, while well, we've had um, look what happened on Tower Bridge in London, let's ban vans. Oh yeah. Uh, look at all the um, all the stabbings in
1: Britain. Let's ban bread knives. Yeah. Um, the well, it wasn't there? Yeah, I wasn't there in uh, in Stoville here in Ontario where you used to live. You told me a story once when you uh, when you were there about uh, I don't know if it was a big storm that knocked over a tree that did a lot of property damage and somebody. St- trying to regulate the height of trees on properties. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the next logical step would be to ban lightning.
0: But. Right. And, you know, we could we could spend an entire program um, talking about the futility and absurdity of, of gun control. Um, I mean, there are a number of issues with it, of course. First of all, we can say that, it has been always the first step of tyrannical governments. One of the first steps of tyrannical governments in history mm-hmm. to seize the weapons of their population. Yes. This was done in the Soviet Union. It was done in Nazi Germany. Uh, it's been it's been a a, a a a core principle of the radical left, of the social democrats, whatever you want to call them, um, of the utopians. Although interestingly, n- not Marx himself, because he lived in a different era. Um, but, but
1: Marx was a, uh, at least in theory, he was a hunting enthusiast. That's right.
0: That's what I mean. So he, you know, he thought that uh, you know the state would eventually disappear and everybody would have their guns and do their hunting and so on. But uh, our era says, you know, oh, know, we don't have this risk anymore of, um, of you know, our, our modern enlightened governments. They're not going to. They're never going to need restraint. And of course, oh, you know, dare. the Americans do understand. Of course, we've got the decay of Christianity in the United States and the family, and that's the problem behind all of this. Um, But there is this recognition that the Second Amendment is about a restraint on tyrannical government. That's its function. The biggest threat to any population has never been external power and forces. The biggest threat to any population historically has always been its own government. The Americans understood that, Mm -hmm. and they built the Second Amendment into their constitution And, um, you know, we pointed out in passing, you know, that the young people have had guns in America for centuries. Yeah. Um, and of course we've been driving automobiles for a very long time. Anybody could get into a van. We've seen it in Canada, Mm -hmm. uh, get into a car and drive into a crowd of people and kill dozens of them. Yeah. Right. The, the availability of cars, the availability of car rentals, uh, is ubiquitous.
1: Very easy to rent a car, and incredibly and easy to, to be, steal one. You have to be 16, but 50 bucks a day. <laughs>
0: right. It it and, and and it can be turned into a weapon of mass murder. Certainly yep. one much more dangerous than a single handgun. Yeah. Um. Uh, one of our fellows, uh, Dr. Andrew Sandlin, has has pointed out recently that uh, the uh, the best solution to um, armed criminals. Um, is armed citizens. That's right. Um,
1: I wrote that quote down too. I was going to bring oh, right. it up. right. Oh, you sorry. Didn't. I didn't mean to steal your thunder <laughs> no. there. But uh, no, that's Andrew's thunder.
0: Yeah. So the first thing is the the issue of tyranny, and it's interesting to notice. And I would point that out to this out to Christians. Jesus never introduced a sword ban, which was the weapon of choice in his day, uh, on the disciples. Mm-hmm. How is it that the apostle Peter, who had been in the Garden of Gethsemane with the Lord. You know, he didn't have time to run back to Nazareth and pick up, you know, go to his armory. Yep. And, and, and no, Peter... And,
1: and he, was a, he was a fisherman and a disciple. A f- you know, he wasn't an auxiliary and, uh, <laughs> officer <laughs> <No>. or anything. <laughs> That's right. He
0: wasn't in the sort of uh, the territorial uh, Roman army, right? Yep. Ready for in, in the first line of call-ups. Um, so he was armed. He was armed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was normal for those disciples to be armed and when they came to arrest Jesus, he cut off the servant's ear. Now, of course, we know what happened. Jesus said, "Sheathe your sword." That's not the way. Christ had a mission that was going to be accomplished, and um, uh, the the use of the sword in trying to prevent the Lord Jesus from going to the cross was not the plan of God. And uh, uh, later on, actually, we see that um, Jesus tells his disciples to to buy swords.
1: That's right. Um,
0: and Paul himself, the apostle Paul, uh, was not above accepting an armed escort um, out of a city in which there was a death threat against him. Mm-hmm. So, nowhere you, you do not see John the Baptist or Jesus ever telling a, a Roman soldier even to leave the army or to renounce violence or to dis people to disarm themselves because there were robbers, there were bandits. You needed to ex- You needed to be able to defend yourself. Um, and uh, this is remains true today the bible gives us the right of Mm self-defense um
1: and And that's not uh, just defense from external powers but defense from our own from criminals and from our own government that's right and it's it's just it's noteworthy you mentioned already that the right to bear arms in in america at least is is ratified in the second amendment Mm -hmm. there are i think two dozen some two dozen amendments to the constitution if we go back to uh the idea that uh, that law helps you to to process uh, your values. The second one, I think, right after the freedom of speech, the right to freedom of speech is the First Amendment, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Like they're taking these in order of priority. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is not something that somebody thought forty five years ago might be a good idea. This is right. this is baked in from early days? Well, these were
0: Christian people, uh, for the most part, who understood what the threats were. They would have remembered the the story of the English Revolution, Mm. Um, and uh, they recognized the importance of self-defense, and they recognized that the Bible gave them uh, that right. So, of the course, the, we don't carry swords today you can, you, because that was the weapon of choice. That was the the, the, tech, the technology at that point, of course, that somebody might be able to carry around. But it's no good being armed with a stick uh, or a sword if you're confronted with a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, it, uh, it makes sense that, you know, self-defense would mean, you know, that if a, if a, if a criminal's got a firearm... Then you know I should be able to defend defend myself and my family, um, with a firearm. So that's tyrannies want to want to strip weapons from their people because they see the people as a threat. Secondly, self defense is, uh, granted by scripture and the Lord Jesus Himself. And uh, we've already pointed out that um, almost anything can be turned into a weapon, mm-hmm. and certainly vehicles can be turned into deadly weapons. This this heinous act, uh, this act of of pure evil from this uh, this fatherless man here, um, allegedly Salvador Ramos, uh, he could have waited in a van outside the school gates, waited till the children were gathered in a large group and, and uh, driven a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so where the intent to kill, to murder is there, um, it's like where the intent to suicide is really there. It's very, very difficult to stop. Right, uh, the 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 preferred mode of killing in in much of Europe by um, Islamists has been with knives and beheadings, right, and and uh, and stabbings, um, and this has happened in England to to MPs in their own um, council office. That's right. Uh, yeah. So look, people who want to do evil are going to do it. That's not so. So you know, you, we've pointed out before that, but that that a um, whether it's a vehicle. Or a or a gun, there's power involved. That's right. And yep. power means responsibility. Power itself is not demonic. There's nothing evil in itself with power. Um, and power uh, is essential. Power is essential, and a gun can be used for for hunting food yep. to eat. Mm-hmm. There's nothing inherently evil about a bullet. Uh, there's nothing inherently evil about a knife but these things can be used power can be exercised for good or for ill you know imagine a world in which only nazi germany had had the weapons the guns weapons had to be used for good to resist evil in a situation where 6 million jews were on their way to the gas chambers or to starvation and death and so on and so forth so power itself is not demonic power must be exercised responsibly and tools which cultural tools which give us power in one way or another increasingly and 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 certainly need to be used responsibly and um you take the example of um switzerland for example because and this has often been pointed Mm. out i mean it's been pointed out by the NRA, and then, of course, uh, right. others try to get involved and, and, and say, oh, no, no, Switzerland's a different case. But look, in Switzerland, vast majority of young men, interestingly enough, are armed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, uh, some of the guns there don't require any registry at all, including some automatic long guns. Um, many of the guns are registered, but people are armed. And they know how to use those weapons. And, um, and yet, uh, you know, you don't have, except on rare occasions, now the, the favoured method of suicide, there's a, a lot of suicide uh, suicides in Switzerland are guns. Hmm. Um, they're to hand, right? Um, but um, in Switzerland, we don't see these kinds of mass shooting events. And it's been interesting to, uh, to, 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 to look at and analyse why. And I think one of the key reasons is that um, uh, two things, I think primarily. One is that um, national service is mandatory.
1: Military service.
0: Military service, that's right. So um, the, the young men who could be or might potentially be fatherless... Go rogue, have no discipline, no structure, no values drilled into them about responsibility. Well, lo and behold, look what happens. You've got, it's not as good as a father in the home, right? but a pretty good substitute in the event of fatherlessness is the discipline of a military life, um, of essentially surrogate fathers disciplining you um, to be responsible, to be accountable um, to use a, uh, the the weapon responsibly, and of course there are certain values being inculcated there, including patriotism, defence of your country. The West increasingly despises itself. It uh, wants people to have a, a, a hatred. You know, much of our the cultural elites want people to hate America, hate Canada, hate Britain, hate our heritage and everything about it, and. Um, uh, uh, national service national uh, military service is no longer required and so i think that's an interesting thing about switzerland which where there are people are absolutely um, armed to the teeth um and yet you don't see this sort of thing and it isn't because of uh, tight regulation of all guns as though there are no uh, weapons or what happens is basically the you do national service and you can you can take home you can buy you can take home your weapon um and yet you don't see the same kind of thing. So the problem is not guns. And I think you had some, uh, you pulled up some some stats. But I, I want to yeah. just mention for, before you just, I think you should point out some of the U stats in the US. But here in Canada, before we get too arrogant,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because, you know, it, it really is nauseating to listen to some Canadian commentators who think we're sort of, you know, the the, the sort of leftist utopia up here. Um, we're not. Um London has a... uh, London, England has a murder rate per 100,000 of 1.6.
1: 1.6 per 100,000.
0: Yeah. Regina, Canada. Regina, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, 4.3. Winnipeg, 3.4. This is murders per 100,000 people. You don't need guns to have a high murder rate. That's higher regina's murder rate is higher than both and in fact winnipeg is winnipeg is on a par with new york they're both 3.4 regina is higher than new york and san diego for the murder rate
1: what is going on in regina (laughs) Regina. are you guys okay (laughs) clearly not
0: (laughs) so the notion that we are going to sort of stamp out murder by more and more regulation is a myth Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, wh- why don't you just uh, explain to us the United States for a minute? Give us some yeah, examples. Yeah, sure.
1: So, I mean, in the United States, and the the whole point of this is just to, uh, just to illustrate that correlation and causation are not the same thing, but, uh, you've got to, if you look at a map of percentage of, of the population who owns guns broken up by state, uh, there are not a, uh. Not a whole lot of surprises here in terms of gun ownership. Uh, Alaska comes in first. 61% of Alaskans have guns. Arkansas, 58%, and Idaho, 57%. And then it uh, trickles down all the way there. I'll read out the three three lowest gun-owning states are New Jersey at 11%, Rhode Island at 6%, and Delaware at 5%. I'm in Delaware. (laughs) <laughs> What's up? Isn't that Joe Biden's home state? <laughs> we love you,
0: Delaware, if you're listening.
1: Uh, our condolences. So, but uh, so compare those numbers with the uh, the highest and lowest uh, gun deaths per hundred thousand. Uh, coming in totally unheard of here, Louisiana at the top, 14, 14 per hundred thousand, and then tied for second michigan illinois and maryland so maryland one of the uh one of the smallest in terms of gun ownership percentage let me see if i can find that here maryland uh 20 percent
0: and look at illinois
1: marylanders illinois yeah 26 26
0: percent and yet, look at where they are on the, uh, on the murder rate.
1: And then, uh, yeah, they're all, all competing for, uh, for second place here with eight, uh, eight homicides per 100,000.
0: With guns. With
1: guns. Idaho. So remember Idaho? Third in the nation, 57% gun ownership. Idaho is tied with New Hampshire, North Dakota, South Dakota, Utah, and Iowa. For one death per hundred thousand, some
0: of the lowest in the country. Yeah, and Idaho, because we've been there, has um, concealed carry.
1: Idaho's got got concealed carry. It's got uh, I think it's called a shall issue permit.
0: And you look at um, at uh, gun ownership in places, of course, like Montana and Wyoming, mm. and then you look at their 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 rates of uh, of murder, um, very 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 low. Um, of homicides per 100,000 residents. Yep. So the point that we're making here is uh, both the one and at either end of that spectrum, there is no correlation in the United States between rates of gun ownership and rates of homicide by guns. And in some of the the, the most, uh, uh, the, the states that have some of the most liberal gun laws, you've got some of the lowest rates. So the uh, and I think that perhaps where we conclude this is to say that our prime minister here, Justin Trudeau, never misses an opportunity, even if it's something is happening in East Timor, um, to use it to introduce more control, mm-hmm. more regulation, and more destruction of freedom uh, north of the 49th parallel. And uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us that in, in the last 48 hours? Um, he has used what has happened way down in Texas as a pretext now for introducing, when he's been doing this now for several years, incrementally basically trying to take away all the guns of Canadians. This, yeah, this Give us is the a, latest. This
1: is a drum that uh, Justin Trudeau has been beating for several years, as you mentioned. Uh, you said earlier that all of these news items, uh, the collapse of feminism, fatherlessness, are not, are not unrelated but, as you say, shootings in Texas have now prompted crackdowns on gun ownership in Canada. Uh, so, I don't know. Go, go ahead and uh, the logic draw, of draw the, the line uh, for that, if you uh, would. Liberal logic. But this is... A, a, so, two, uh, two quotes from, uh, from an article uh, quoting Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, his... Uh, his plan is to make it illegal, he says, it will be illegal to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. Oh, hand, Handguns are, are going away.
0: They're going. And it won't be long before the next thing will be how they're going to recover the handguns that are already in that circulation. All, that's right. That'll be the next step.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's uh, that's part of the bill. Uh, there's uh, It's not, not scheduled yet. It's still got to pass, but... There will be a mandatory buyback program uh, going into effect.
0: Right, buyback.
1: And, and the second, uh, the second line here. And Joe, I want to throw this over to you for some commentary. But uh, listen. I to, hope this uh, is my
0: favorite one. <laughs> this one is this the Orwellian news speak here? This is the one. Oh yeah, yeah give it to us. Yeah, let's, let's hear let's it. Let's
1: close off with this for for today. Uh, again, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada. Quote: We cannot let the gun debate become so polarized. That nothing gets done. We cannot let that happen in our country. This is about freedom. <laughs> People should be free to go to the supermarket, their school, or their place of worship without fear. End quote.
0: Well, if uh, if if the, if we had a dictionary in front of us and 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 we opened it up to Newspeak, um, I think this would be. Almost a perfect substitute definition.
1: Uh, this would be uh, sort of your illustrative sentence. Absolutely <laughs>
0: right. Uh, this is this is so Orwellian. It's hard to describe in in thirty seconds. Let's break this down. Uh, we cannot let that happen in our country. Well, he certainly doesn't like a lot of things happening in the country. He says this is about freedom. So stripping away your rights. As we've seen especially this last two years is now about for and taking away your right to own a handgun is now about your freedom and look he's so concerned that people should be free to go to the supermarket or their school or their place of worship not in the last two years mm-hmm. we weren't free to go to the supermarkets we wanted to go to numerous businesses were shut down yeah we weren't free to go to school
1: no children weren't ev- free to go to school everyone was uh, shunted online
0: our civil liberties and the, and the and our charter rights were indefinitely suspended and some of them still are we weren't free to go to our place of worship without fear i mean these things the, the, this this the speech writers must sit there thinking about how to how, what is the best way of telling lies here is you just this is utter deception dressed in the language of freedom as though trudeau has ever shown an interest with his collection of uh, oligarchs and elites there in government, that people should be free to go to their place of worship or their school or their supermarket all the restrictions that we're seeing increasingly placed in the area of education for example or uh, and, and of course the curtailing of freedom of worship, and now stripping away your guns mm-hmm. is about your freedom that's the quintessence or the essence of uh, newspeak and this is what we're confronted with now in the Canadian landscape
1: this is just the be uh, just the beginning of the the program where we own nothing and are happy you know, this is just the first thing that we cease to own as our guns <laughs> <laughs> joe it was uh i mean again the nations are raging as we've observed regularly uh we see it in the news here it's been good to uh to sit and talk about it i hope this has been a uh An edifying and enlightening uh, conversation for for those of you who have listened really appreciate you listening and we remind you as ever that from him and through him and to him are all things, all kings, all nations all peoples belong to Jesus Christ and are going to bow the knee to him, our God and King. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. We we'll look forward to seeing you again next week.